we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in the hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. And the stories of Jesus give life. His stories are called parables. And now we learn from these parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Well, good morning. It's so good that we get to sing songs together that remind us of Jesus and the work that he's done in our life, that it's not about our righteousness, but his, that we have a redeemer who has sought after us and found us. That's good news and it's good reminders for us. Um, Hopefully, as those reminders They stay with you throughout the week and clue you in on God's mission and heart for those who are lost even around you. If you are new with us today, um, my name is Danny, one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church, have the privilege of preaching in here, but we're so glad that you're visiting with us today. Um, If you would let us know um, that you're visiting with us today by going to fbcsa.org slash connect, you can do that right on your phone, even right now, but we would love to know that you are with us today. Um, In fact, at the close of the service, um, I will linger right up here, and I would love uh, to meet you, uh, get your name, uh, just a simple way for me to connect with you. So uh, at the close of today's worship gathering, I'll just wait right up front, and if you're new today, please come down and see me. I would really love I love to meet you. Um, we have been in the parables of Luke, and today we're in Luke chapter 15. Um, if you have one of these, our worship folder, um, you know, we produce these every week. Uh, in it, we find the passage of scripture that we read together, along with uh, my outline for the sermon, and so these can be very useful, so you can follow along with me. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read just uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7 together as we engage these parables this morning. So verse 3, so Jesus told them this story, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, on his shoulders, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You may be seated. Father, Lord, we do ask that you bless the corporate reading of your word. Uh, Lord, may 
You use your word through the power of your spirit to lead us to greater faith and obedience in our life. Lord, help us to know your heart and may that shape our own. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Today's story um, really is a collision of cultures. We have the culture of the religious leaders of the day, the most prominent religious leaders, certainly not all of them, but many of them embodied a culture that was on a collision course with the culture of Jesus or the culture of heaven. And today we see that more clear than, clearly than almost anywhere. In the first two verses of Luke 15, it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach Isn't that interesting? Just for a moment, think about this. Um, Those notorious sinners were drawn to Jesus. Just hold on to that. Verse two, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them. And so you have the culture of these religious leaders that was on a collision course with with Jesus and the culture of heaven. And they were really bent out of shape because the people that they had kept at arm's length, the notorious sinners and tax collectors, they were the ones that were really seeking Jesus out. And Jesus uh, open armed welcomed them right he they sat at his feet they listened to his words um, they surrounded Jesus these kind of people and not only did they come to Jesus when he was teaching um, but he even had dinner with them right and the Pharisees were looking for a way to disqualify Jesus. And so as they saw him interact very closely with these sinners, these tax collectors, in their own thinking, they're saying, how in the world can a a teacher of God's word, a rabbi, associate himself with the unrighteous or the unclean? Uh, By merely having dinner with them, somehow the uncleanliness of the people will rub off on him and make him unrighteous. How could he, being a teacher of God's word associate with them. And they were looking for every opportunity to say, see, Jesus is not qualified to be a teacher of God's word. There's no way he could be the Messiah. The teachers of the law, those um, religious leaders of the day that we call Pharisees, um, they, they surrounded themselves not with the unrighteous, but with the righteous. Um, the, the rabbis, the teachers, their mission was never to draw near to the weak and the hurting or the sinful, but to surround themselves with those who have earned their attention. In their minds, those who are righteous because they have followed all the rules, not just the law, but the rules that they had added to the law. You had to earn their attention by being righteous, whereas Jesus eagerly received those 
who were called sinful. That was their culture. And so Jesus, knowing their heart, hearing the rumblings of their complaining, takes the opportunity to say, can I tell you what the culture of heaven is really like? I know your culture. You don't associate with the unclean, the unrighteous, the sinful. You don't go to the tax collectors. You avoid them. You keep them at arm's length. But can I tell you what the culture of heaven is like? And then Jesus tells some of the sweetest, most memorable parables that we have ever read or heard, right? Almost all of you could probably retell these parables, I mean, you might miss a little detail here or there, but almost all of this in this room, if, if you have grown up, even in our culture, not ever going to church, you've probably heard the story of the lost sheep because it's a powerful story that resonates with us. And these are the kind of things that we want to think and see in God is this culture that is embodied in these parables. We love these parables for good reason. And so Jesus says, listen, can I tell you what heaven is like? And let me show you through these simple stories. And the first of those stories is the story of the shepherd who has lost his sheep. He is tasked with caring for every single need that these sheep have, right? He makes sure that they're well. He makes sure that they're fed. He makes sure that they're safe and protected uh, by um, a prey. And when one is lost, what do you suppose that he does? Jesus says, listen, when one of his sheep is lost out of 100, 99 are safe, but one is gone. No, the shepherd sets aside everything that he's doing to go find the one. And when he finds the one, he puts him on his shoulder and he brings him back to the fold and he rejoices in the finding of the one. Let me just read these two verses that I think really capture part of the culture that Jesus is trying to reveal. Verse four of chapter 15, it says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Won't he go searching? And then in verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? One of the parts of this culture of heaven that Jesus wants to teach these Pharisees and now us is that the culture of heaven is bent on searching for the lost. That one of its greatest ambitions is as it looks upon the lost and the hurting and the weak and the broken and sinful is to seek that which is lost. To search for them. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, Jesus uses this parable of lostness because I think it really resonates with his listeners. In fact, all his parables, he uses them because the content of that parable, the subject of that parable, they can kind of identify with. And I think this is true for us too. I think every Pharisee that heard this parable probably can say, I've lost something before. And really, I went out of my way to find it. Have you ever lost something that you really set aside everything else so that you could find it? 
Have you ever been there? I know someone today. Michaela, where are you? Right, Michaela, what did you lose today? She lost an earring today. And she wants to find that earring. Listen, every one of us can resonate and identify with this story because we all have lost something. Now, how many of you ever lost your keys before? How consequential is that? You can't go anywhere unless you find your keys. I remember one time I was looking all over the house for my keys only to find out they were with Anna and she was somewhere else. And so I just had to wait till she got home. It was consequential. I I couldn't go anywhere if I didn't find those keys. Um, Every time I'm about to travel across the world, I have this weird feeling that I'm not gonna be able to find my passport. Everyone, anyone felt that before? And it's like, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be in a folder uh, in a a filing cabinet in our garage. Uh, One time, this is several years ago, uh, weeks out from having to travel, I go and it's not in there. And it's not, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I can't find my passport. I'm not gonna be able to travel. Listen, some things that are lost have significant consequence. It's consequential. If I don't find it, I'm not going anywhere and I don't have enough time to apply for a new passport. Now, luckily, it was where I last had it, was, which was in a, a backpack that I traveled with the last time I traveled overseas. But regardless, Jesus chose a story of lostness that would resonate with his hearers and it resonates with us today. And in this case, lostness of, was of great consequence. Both in the story of the shepherd and the lost coin, both of them were of consequence. This, this little sheep's life was on the line. Uh, this woman's livelihood was on the line if that coin was not found. Being lost and being found is of great consequence. And what we find in the culture of heaven is that when heaven looks down upon the brokenness and lostness of our world, heaven is not smug in its culture. It doesn't keep us at arm's length. No, because of the consequence of being lost, heaven says we will go to great lengths to find the lost. And when I mean by heaven, I mean God. We have this picture of, and we'll get to that in a minute, of the angels and God celebrating together in the, those who are lost or being found and those who, who turn back to God. But it's a remarkable image that with all the righteousness in heaven, the righteousness of God and the righteousness of the Son and the righteousness of the Spirit among these, uh, these, these angels who celebrate day in and day out the holiness of God in the, the, the richness and beauty of the righteousness of heaven when it looks down upon the lostness of humanity, it does not stay away. It is not smug, but it goes to great lengths to find the lost. That's the culture of heaven. God's response to our sinfulness is not loathing. Listen to this. God's response to our sinfulness and brokenness is not loathing. Yes, we are worthy of God's wrath. We are, in fact, children of wrath. That's what, that's what God's, uh, what Paul writes about the nature of God's uh, justice towards us who, are, who remain in our sin, that we are children of 
wrath. But let me tell you, God does not find delight in the destruction of the wicked. Uh, God does not wring his hands with joy and twinkle his eyes because he can't wait till judgment day comes so he can wipe out the wicked. That's not the heart of God. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says this. This is God speaking. Now listen to him. I'm actually gonna back up to verse 10. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive? In verse 11, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? And the answer to that is why, since I've made a way for you. But the point is this, is that the culture of heaven is not loathing, it is not delighting in the destruction of the wicked and uh, the curse of the wicked. No, God delights in the lost that are found. And because his delight is in seeking the lost, and because there is great consequence for those who are not found, God says, I'm gonna send a search party. That's the culture of heaven. God's deepest longings and his desires is to find that which is lost. Much like a parent, much like a parent who has made a terrible and consequential decision in their life. Uh, this parent may be angry. This parent may be disappointed. This parent may be even willing to allow that child to suffer the consequences of that decision. But compassion and love still moves a parent to stick it out, to go to extraordinary lengths to run after that child and to be eager and willing to receive them when they return. Uh, that's what Jesus is trying to capture here. That the culture of heaven, the culture of God in responding to those who are lost is very different than yours, Pharisees. You only wanna surround people you're comfortable with, people that you call righteous that have earned your attention. You have nothing to do with the weak or burdened or hurt or broken or sinful the people that you outcast, that's not the heart of God. God goes to great lengths to find them. And we know that Jesus embodies that, right? Jesus is the sent one. For God so loved the world that he sent the son to find the lost. John three seventeen says the father didn't send the son into the world to judge the world. That's what the Pharisees were doing. God has appointed us as your judge. Get your act together. And the father says, I didn't send my son to judge the world, but to save the world. That's the culture of heaven. The other aspect of the culture of heaven that Jesus wants us to know in these parables is that there is serious, and serious joy in finding the lost. I think this is so beautiful. What a picture 
that we have in verses five through seven and nine through 10. Five through seven says, and when he has found the sheep, he will joyfully carry it home in his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is, listen to this, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. More joy in heaven. And then verses nine and 10. And when she finds that coin, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Jesus says, I want you to know that in the culture of heaven, when that one who once was lost is found, there is great rejoicing. That, that, that brings the father great joy. And not just the father, but in heaven among all the angels, they throw a party. They get together and celebrate the one who has repented. That's an incredible picture. What a picture that Jesus teaches us about that culture in heaven of rejoicing in that what was lost, but now is found. The Pharisees had painted a very, very different picture. They had painted a picture of God as reluctant rather than accepting, hesitant rather than affectionate. A, a God who is much like a contrary Greek God who sends out his hero with a list of Herculean tasks. Well, when you do that one, I might approve. Well, when you do this, I might approve. Here, here's a laundry list of stuff that you've got to do, and maybe then you might get my attention. Uh, maybe you might get me to turn my head if you get your act together enough. You might be able to create a resume of righteousness, maybe, you can come or you can go, I really don't care. That's what they would have us believe, that in some way that God is, has greater joy in judgment and condemnation, or maybe even indifference to those who are weak and broken and sinful. That's not the picture that Jesus paints at all. The picture that Jesus paints in these parables is that God can't wait for the lost to be found, the broken to be healed, that God can't wait for that sinner to turn, repent, and come to him, that he eagerly waits for that day. In fact, he sends out the one to find and to heal and to bind and to restore and to lead to repentance. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you have no longing or desire to see the broken healed or the sinner repent, but that's not what God's like. You wanna keep everyone at arm's length until they earn your attention. That's not what God is like. God searches out for the lost. He seeks the lost so that they may be found. That's the culture 
of heaven. Let's go back to that initial question that I asked in verse one. What do you think it was that attracted the tax collectors and those notorious sinners to Jesus? What do you think it was that drew them to him when they would not go near or they avoided all the other teachers of God's word? I mean, it bugged the Pharisees, right? But what do you think it was that drew them to him? Could it be that they were drawn to Jesus because he searched for them? Could it be that they were drawn to Jesus that when he was around, he didn't seek to identify all the ways that they were wrong and unrighteous because he knew that they needed a doctor to begin with? He didn't come to judge and to condemn, but when he drew near to them, he wanted them to know that there is a place for you to return, that you can find acceptance and affection here, that God knows you and loves you and is ready for you to return. Could it be that they resonated and were drawn to Jesus because they sensed that he was sent to them? For me this week, it's been um, leading me to ask some personal questions and some questions about the church. I think all of us, myself included, when we read the culture of heaven that Jesus depicts, we understand it. We get it. We Intellectually, we understand that God is the one who's seeking after the lost, that we understand intellectually that God eagerly awaits those who return to him and, and God rejoices over the one who repents. I think we understand those things intellectually, but for me, the question I've been asking myself is, is the culture of my own life or is my heart bent towards the lost in the same way that God clearly is? Or, and there's nothing wrong with this, or am I just most comfortable surrounding myself with the righteous and the people most like me? Am I, and God calls us to that. God calls us to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters. We're the church, in fact. We are bound together in muscle and sinew so that we might encourage each other to good works. And so we're, we're, we're called to bind ourselves with one another, but, but is the culture of my heart just content with the righteous? Or do I have the self-awareness to acknowledge that sometimes I can be indifferent towards the lost? I just don't have the same kind of ambition towards the loss that Jesus had and has. And if that's the case, I surely, surely don't rejoice more over the lost who are found. That's kind of how I've been thinking this week and asking myself is, how ought I to cultivate the culture that Jesus portrays in these parables in my own life. 
What are some ways that I can be encouraged to ambitiously seek the lost in the same way that Jesus seeks the lost? To share in his mission, to share in his values, to embody his culture of going and being sent and finding and rejoicing. That's a good question. Um, Just a few things that I think can help me and hopefully help us. Because that's a question I ask for our church family too. Is are we indifferent to the lostness out there? Are we just comfortable with what we do within these walls, within our small groups? And, or are we resonating with God's heartbeat and mission? Um, but some things that I think uh, that we can do, uh, one is uh, ask Ask God for the kind of self-awareness that we need. If, if, uh, if there is an indifference in my life because of the rat race that we live in, and not everything in the rat race is bad, I get that. There's a lot of good things in the races that we run in this life. But if that rat race is leading me to increased or ongoing indifference, I need to be aware of that. And so asking the Lord, Lord, reveal to me, show to me the places where I'm just indifferent to your mission because of everything else going on in my life. So that's the first thing. Self-awareness is obviously key. That self-awareness leads us to repentance, right? Uh, by the grace of God and the power of his spirit. Uh, secondly is, is um, the only way that we're going to cultivate a heart that resonates with the culture of heaven is if we are filling ourselves up with the culture of God and knowledge of the heart of God. Uh, we were talking today in our small group, like these kind of steps. And if, anyone ha- if any of us have another goal in life, just for example, if, if my ambition was to become a greater leader, then what do I do? I, I get books about leadership and I get recommendations. Hey, what's the best book you've read about leadership? And then I surround myself with people who I think are leading really well. And I sit them down for coffee and say, listen, I, I, I want, what are some ways that you've led? How, how did you grow in your leadership? Uh, uh, what are some things that you're doing? Can you identify areas in my life that I need to kind of shift around so that I can become a better leader? All of us know that when we are self-aware of places that we need to grow and we set that goal then we start putting in place those tangible things that help get us there. And, and Jesus is like, duh. If you want to, if you want to embody the, the culture of heaven and have the heart of God that seeks the lost and rejoices in those who are found, then you better start surrounding yourself with the word of God that best articulates what his culture and heart is like. Another way to say this is that we cannot be ambitious in seeking and finding the lost if we are not in God's word, which teaches us about the heart of God that seeks the lost. There's just, there's just no way for us to do that. And if we're not then surrounding ourselves with people who are ahead of the game, who are doing it really well, and, and we're asking them, how can you, what, how did you get to that place where you are identifying people in your normal rhythms of life that need to hear about Jesus? And then once you did, what did you do? 
Listen, um, in our church family, Byron Pitts has put together a lot of different resources and opportunities to learn about how to talk to people and have conversations about Jesus, how to identify the needs of people around you in your own neighborhoods, in your own places. None of us are asking, and I'm speaking to myself, none of us are asking, although this is valuable and true because God sends us to the ends of the earth, but none of us are asking for you, for all of you to get on a plane and go to the ends of the earth. What we're asking is, will you embody, and will we embody as a church family, the passion and culture of God to seek the lost? And we wanna do everything we can to encourage that, to fan that flame and, and provide those resources. In fact, this is, this is just on the fly. Uh, Byron, when's our next training? It's, uh, February 26th. Awesome, so listen, we wanna give you opportunities. How do I talk to people about Jesus in a way that doesn't feel rote and canned? Come, we'll help you. Those are where those conversations are happening. God wants to use you uh, with the people that you're already with, already around, all the time who need to be found. Will we do that? Will, will I embody that more and more in my life? I think we will be shocked and surprised that when we begin the seeking, the kind of people who are drawn to that in us. That we're ready to receive you. We're eager to find you. We'll come to where you are. People will resonate and respond to that. Will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for your son that you sent so that we could be found. Lord, none of us are children of God without you finding us and initiating that searching. Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to embody that, that vision and culture in our own life. Help us to take steps towards that. Um, Lord, we all would acknowledge we're not where we'd wanna be and all that. I can be indifferent sometimes. I, my mind can be consumed by other things in my life. Lord, how can we, how can we live in this, this world where we have to take care of our families and put food on the table? And how can we do all of those mundane things in life and be able to see that your mission is wrapped up all in it? Lord, help us to see that that you want us to use us right where we are in the places that you've placed us. And some of us, you've called us to go to new places, to go. But Lord, help us to see that, prepare for that, be led into that. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.